Hello and welcome to the Challenge of Behaviour Change podcast. My name's Dr Emma Davis and in this podcast series I've been exploring the world of behaviour change and discussing intervention development and evaluation. In this episode I'm joined by Kasia Stewart, a recent graduate of the UCL Master's Programme in Behaviour Change. Kasia's interests are in sustainable behaviours such as cycling as an active way to travel. Kasia shares a range of experiences with me in this interview. She's worked on lots of different projects and she also talks about getting employed with behavioural science skills. So I was very grateful for her to sharing with me lots of different insights that I know will be valuable not only to us on this module that we're studying together, but also thinking about sharing your future skills. Hi, so um, my name's Kezia Stewart. I'm a recent graduate of um, the UCL Behaviour Change Masters. I am currently the Behavioural Insights and Evaluation Officer for Cycling UK. And then uh, as a brief background to what I used to do, I originally did my bachelor's in psychology way back when in Belfast, uh, finished in 2014. Then I had quite a few years working in um, digital marketing for a large digital marketing agency and then just did my master's there. My, my research interests are um, firstly, um, because and it's most related to the job I'm working in now, is active travel, which is the sort of cool term for, you know, walking, cycling rather than, you know, um, car and that kind of stuff. It's a very sort of sustainable and good for you kind of area basically uh, particularly though I'm on the cycling side uh, mainly because I'm a complete cycling nut um, I fall into that complete atypical cyclist but um, my main interest is that you know people um, in this country we we tend to now see cycling as a as a sport and it can be a little bit elitist in that but really, and this was how it was originally conceived, you know, back in the 50s, it's really just a mode of transport that literally anyone can do. It's really diverse, a huge amount of people with mobility and disability issues can cycle. There's ways for them to do that. And um, I just, I definitely want to be part of the, the industry that's helping everybody cycle if they want to, you know, and making it really accessible. That's my main one. I'm also, as a, you know, you tend to get interested in different areas. Definitely from my old job, I'm really interested in um, digital behaviour change um, because where I used to work, it was I used to manage sort of portfolios of online marketing for different uh, companies. And, um, you know, you basically all the time what you're doing is changing behaviour online. Like that's not up for debate. Behaviour change more generally is happening literally everywhere. That's not something that's mm. new. Um, but what I found is that when I was working there, that although we were changing behavior all the time and we were going through a really systematic way of doing it, constantly doing tests, something we call an A-B test, which is basically like a randomized control trial but online. And uh, we were doing that all the time, but we didn't really dig into why we were changing behavior or how we were changing behavior. You know, like we knew that this this on our site was going to change it and you get a kind of feel for it after a while but the underlying behavioral mechanisms that were going on which is kind of a little bit ghosty to us 
then finally, my final interest is uh, behavioural design, which I've just always been quite an arty person and done quite a few short graphic design courses. And I learned so much from them this before I did behavioural science. Graphic design has got a huge wealth of knowledge in terms of how to change behaviour, how to draw attention to what you want people to see and how to um, understand how perception works. And it's, um, I think that's actually something that particularly behavioural science could pay attention a little bit more to. That's really interesting to find out a bit about your varied background as well. And I'm sure we'll we'll delve into that. So um, taking the the sort of active travel area then as one that you're you're very interested in, you've got a personal interest in there. Um, uh, You touched on a a, a point there about people maybe thinking um, cycling as elitist. So sort of to draw on that, um, build on that point a bit more, could you tell me a little bit why you think changing behaviour in that sort of sustainable active travel area is quite challenging and are there any sort of particular barriers that you've come across in your work? I think the first thing to say about cycling for top is that it's pretty niche you know <laughs> it can get pretty niche when you've already gone through behavioral science as a field is is quite niche and then you go into cycling behavioral science you know that's pretty niche you know if you're if you're going to choose a behavioral science where the big bucks is is like financial you know behavioral economics but cycling is probably pretty low down there um <laughs> Although it's interesting because this year during COVID, um, basically cycling has become much more prominent than it probably ever was. Um, and honestly, a job like mine wouldn't have existed for, except expressly because of uh, extra funding because of because of COVID. Um, and um, yeah, it is really niche. And then the other, um, I think, kind of thing that I've started to realise more and more at, um, how important it is is um, the perception of cycling um, the funders so the funders might be um, the Department of Transport they might be you know yeah government bo- government bodies uh, local authorities also just independent businesses you know whoever it is um, that's looking to improve cycling um, their perceptions of what brings about behavior change is so far what I've really started to see is it's something that really needs to um, be focused on. And, you know, these are these are people who have the power to make decisions, but, you know, they've got to meet certain um, requirements for all of those things. And, you know, they're all trying to do a really good thing, but at the same time, how they understand how behavior change happens is gonna massively affect where their funding goes. There's something that um, my company, Cycling UK, focuses a lot on is um, what we might term as like soft measures for behavior change and it's only called that because um, what might be considered the hard measure is basically building lots of cycle paths mm. which if you know the research out there on on how to get people to cycle more definitely cycle paths are really important they need to be a high quality they need to follow all of the sort of best practice guidelines as much as possible so you know this is things like them being absolutely separated from the road um so i live in i live in london and there's quite a few paths that are called you know blue super highways and they are completely separated from the road you know the car couldn't drive off onto them without really trying those sorts of things you have a massive effect on how safe people feel and basically one of the biggest barriers to cycling as a you know an individual is often how safe people feel but because we know that is a really significant one 
I think what I'm finding more and more in my my work at Cycling UK, um, applying behavioural science is that although infrastructure is really important, it's not the only thing mm. that stops people cycling. And definitely putting money into that is important. But if we want to think about changing behaviour sustainably for cycling, we need to also think about all the other things that come into play when it is changing that behaviour. So I think in a very broad way of looking at it, if, you're, if your students are familiar with the COMB um, model, you know, infrastructure very much looks at opportunity, particularly physical opportunity, because it's literally there in front of you. But um, what maybe it doesn't focus on quite so much directly is motivation and capability. Also social opportunity, which is different type, obviously. Those are the kind of areas that other schemes and other methods are going to work better and target better and that's quite a lot of what Cycling UK focus on actually and are kind of experts in, in running. Um, so I think this is probably something that I wouldn't have known uh, yeah like even a few well I started the job you know quite recently so mm. I wouldn't have even known it a few a month ago but how important the perception of decision makers um, is for what actually changes behaviour behavior in cycling. And I think it's just something more broadly that any job you do, um, behavioural science is new in some ways. It's not new in the way that we have always been changing behaviour. Mm. You, know, you, you change behaviour from you persuading your mum to give you the last piece of cake rather than your brother. <laughs> change their behaviour somehow. But, and you change it in your day-to-day work, you know, through marketing campaigns or literally whatever you do. But behavioural science is a little bit new in terms of people's understanding and taking a very systematic approach, understanding and pinning down literally all the little types of behaviour that, you know, make up a behaviour change. So that bit, I think people not, you know, not necessarily seeing behavioural science um, and how it can help us better understand behaviour change. That's probably what I'm facing at the moment (laughs) anyway. So quite a challenge. Yeah, that's very interesting because I was highlighting to the, to the students that what we're doing is it's still actually quite a new science in, in the realm of things. Um, you know, new, the common language that we use around the combi and the behaviour change technique taxonomy, all of those things are going to still be developed and moved on and, and continue to improve and help us in the future. Um, so yeah, really nice reflections on the on the importance there of um, of cycling. I know you, you've you've worked on a number of different projects related to cycling. Um, I think we're going to tell us about um, one of those now. And what we're interested there is um, is to kind of learn about the sort of aims and the methods of a project, and maybe what you found in any kind of kind of lessons uh, that you've learned from that. It'd be really interesting to share. Yeah, so I've worked on a few bits and bobs. Um, I think the one that might be nice to talk about was something I did during university. Uh, UCL have something called a hackathon, a social hackathon. Um, They, I think, started it potentially just this year. It's called the Bartlett Hacks. And it was basically, you could take part in a two-day social hackathon where you have to work to kind of create a solution for a sustainable behavior change really um it wasn't by a behavioral science department at all it was actually by i think the bartlett school of environment energy and resources so quite like town planning-ish related but 
the brief was really broad. You could go into different areas of sustainability and we decided to do um, active travel. This is me and a group of six um, all together, um, all behavior change students though. We basically had two days and in that time we had to come up with a proposal for a solution, um, which means we also had to kind of come up with a problem. Mm. So I think I had done um, previously a project on active travel and behavior change. So I knew quite a bit about the research in that area. Um, and so did some of um, the other team as well. Um, and we, we used that and then also found you know, more research, did some reading up and try and find what was something that we would want to target. So the barriers that we identified um, were using the combi. The first one was the infrastructure um, for cycling in London streets, like I was talking about before. And we mapped that as physical opportunity. Um, and then the second barrier fell under uh, the domain of automatic motivation, um, which is basically, you know, your motivation to, is kind of more related to feelings if you really want to do something or not. Um, and that's relating to how people often fear cycling and it's their perception of safety and cycling in London that they're just a bit scared because of you know the roads the traffic nature of it um, and then the third barrier that we thought was the most important was social opportunity this one relates more to the sort of perceived exclusivity of cycling in London and that it can be a little bit like the lycra club and <laughs> that's really true in London to be honest um, and I, I totally fall into that but at the same time I, I wish that you know, I kind of like, I, I wear Lycra because it's more comfortable, but then I'm also like, but you guys don't have to, don't worry, just, just wear your normal stuff. So that was, there's loads of barriers to cycling, but from what we read, that seemed to be the top three quite mm -hmm. consistently shown. Um, and then the core part of our idea was basically that um, it was something that we called art paths or painted paths. So the idea was that not only would you develop um, cycling paths but because we wanted um, those paths to be actually something visually engaging for people cycling or not cycling to kind of attract them to the idea of cycling is that these paths would be painted um, by members of the community so it would be this is what's called a participatory approach um, where you get basically members of the community involved with actually running your intervention. Um, and it helps them definitely feel, you know, more sense of ownership. I think that's often termed as like the Ikea effect, which is where you, if you've, if you've helped build something like an Ikea table, you feel such a great sense of kind of pride and ownership that you actually value it more than if you just bought it. Um, so that's kind of playing off that. And also, yeah, so what the, um, volunteers and, and uh, people would do is that they would paint their path and it would be um, local to that area like so you might have some sort of artwork that was related to the area so the examples I came up with were Shoreditch for example has got loads of graffiti art all over Shoreditch um, you could have a, a path that was graffitied coloured in on, on it um, we obviously there was lots of like sort of stipulations in that like you would only be able to allow certain colours to be used like the paths in London quite a lot of them are blue so you would probably use different shades of blue to create it so that it wasn't so distracting that people were just like <laughs> whoa what's going on beneath the feet and then fall off the bike <laughs> but um the idea was that there would still be a, a local connection to it 
And so Shoreditch might have graffiti, but then um, other areas might have different icons that relate to that area and what's on in that area. So it's kind of also like you could um, go around and actually collect the paths so you could see them, you know, it would yeah. be an experience on them and to be like oh I've seen the Shoreditch one oh I've seen the, the one in the city you know I've seen the one in Packham they all had different local icons um, I love like that in, like Manchester has the the bee yeah so that that's just like a nice symbol um but it's also something a little bit just more interesting than a, a normal cycle path um yeah. that was the core concept we had some uh, other sort of behavioral nudges that went on through that um you know we had like visual nudges that help reduce cycling speed because so this has been shown before that if you have a series of lines that get closer and closer together before a junction, people naturally slow down because it's just a visual. It makes it appear that you're going faster. But things like that can actually potentially improve safety because mm. people will naturally go slower, which I think this comes into quite a lot of the, the safety issue, but also the sort of perception of cyclists because... In London, you get the people in Lycra go super speedy. Yeah. The people who are there on the rental bikes are like, whoa, whoa, pal. Um, so it would naturally help everyone slow down a little bit. Great. Without, without you know, kind of telling them to. Uh, so that's, that was it essentially. Um, we just came up with our ideas and presented them together. Well, that sounds fantastic. And I, I really like the idea of um, making it visually engaging and something you can collect. I love just wandering around. There's lots of graffiti in Oxford and I love like this idea of collecting things as well. So I think that would definitely um, help with my sort of, firstly, my my motivation, but also if it's kind of off, off the beaten track a bit and not next to the road, that's feeling of safety, which you highlighted is really important. And I think the other thing that I was reflecting on as you were talking is this about us not to assume that everybody is this one homogenous group. So cyclists are all completely different. You know, you've got your Lycra, I go out in my jeans and someone else might go out, you know, I've seen like lots of students going out all lovely dressed up in there on their bikes and and it needs to be for everybody, doesn't it? So your point about speed, I think was really key. And that's a fantastic example. Um, I wonder if you wanted to tell me a little bit about um, the other example that you mentioned when we were, um, chatting before um, around this sort of was that around this sort of sustainability um, yeah yeah so, um, this was um, again at UCL I um, sort of long version of this is that I created a society um, which or a team really which was called the UCL behavioral innovations team the UCL BIT um, the reason I created that was with the help of some other people on my course as well, was that I didn't really have any uh, experience applying behavioral science. You know, I've come from digital marketing background, mm. although I've got a lot of experience in testing and things like that. I don't have any experience taking some behavioral insights and trying to apply them. Um, I know that Warwick University also have a, a behavioral sort of applied team of student-led, I should say this is. This is right. a, um, the um, so I basically was like, why don't UTL have one of those? A few of my friends and, I, and then basically if you ask that question, you end up running it. So <laughs> um, that, that was basically how that came about. And as Great. part of that, when I was trying to sort like kind of clients essentially, um, UCL really open to students who want to change something and want to help doing that. Great university for that kind of thing. To be honest, universities generally agree mm. at that. If a student comes along and says, I want to help in some way it will probably happen um, and that's something that universities have 
more, I think, than, than other institutions. Anyway, and uh, the department that uh, fit a really good kind of fit with that was uh, UCL. We have a department that's literally just called the Sustainability Department. They are there to make UCL as a, as a business, as, a, as an institution, more sustainable. Like, that's their entire jobs, which I think is a great expertise for a department, quite frankly. Um, and they, of course, run loads of what could be called behaviour change interventions. But, um, you know, as far as I know, there's no actual behavioural scientists that they work with or, or as part of the team. So they were, you know, pretty keen. They were like, oh, we'd love some behavioural science help, um, you know, some, some insight on kind of what our existing campaigns are. And one of their existing campaigns was um, basically they had access and they had set up this way of tracking um, all of the energy that was used in all of the buildings throughout the entire campus, which is quite a new kind of thing to be able to do. And to be able to use that data, they could actually show that data on screens around UCL. So loads mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of computer screens just in like all the buildings. Yeah. Um, they knew that they wanted to do that and they wanted to have these kind of screens having a purpose of firstly showing the data, in a use, the useful data, and getting people to become more energy efficient for sustainable reasons. So that's what they wanted to do. They had a kind of rough idea, but they thought that, um, and we thought as well, that behavioral science could be a really good fit here for trying to apply some, some kind of insights to make mm. those screens not only, you know, doing what they said, but also doing it kind of well um, and in kind of encouraging people in the best way possible. So, uh, yeah, I, I led the team for that. It was about five or six of us, I think. Um, and we, this was really interesting because this is the first time I'd done anything like this. Um, and I was still doing my course at the same time. So I'm still kind of like learning, but also yeah. applying it. Um, and again, it was a kind of similar process of we reviewed um, research. We would have loved to have done some data collection, but COVID hit. And it was mm -hmm. in the days where no one knew what to do. Like no one knew what to do in terms of how to do stuff online yet. Like that's when we would have done kind of data collection. And because it was at that point where everyone was just like, I don't know, we're just shutting down for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we didn't do that in the end, but we, um, and so but what we did do is come up with a kind of plan for how they could collect data. And what we basically did is that we came up with a series of behavioral insight informed screen mock-ups Okay. We did some mock-ups and then their graphic designer took away those and, and redid them. And we had a couple rounds of that basically and just, you know, kind of working with them. Um, and um, I think we came up with something that we're really happy with, the sustainable team we're really happy with. It's definitely something that uh, we would have loved to do some more data collection on it to kind of really understand how the screens were received, you know. Um, but part of our process was um, very much to we would recommend to actually involve the kind of stakeholders who would have been in those buildings in the design of them, um, you know, at, at that process, what kind of co-design. Definitely. Um, yeah. That's definitely something that we thought was really important and, you know, pretty much pretty much any sort of school of thought on that kind of thing as well will we'll say that co-design is just the best way to get that through. Um, yeah, the, the screens themselves uh, incorporated all sorts of sort of behavioural insights here and there, like we kind of, uh, there's definitely the concept of streaks. If you um, if you know things like Duolingo, it's the gamification principle that you know you don't want to drop a streak, and that was actually a core concept of, of one of the screens. 
Um, and then um, also another cool concept was we decided to have two screens because we were like, well, if we've got one, why can't we have two? The second screen um, was going to have photos of actual UCL staff completing environmentally friendly behaviours. Um, so the idea was that instead of having just like a stock image, it was someone that you might actually recognise because there are always people within buildings like the administrators, the kind of receptionists or, or like the heads of department that everyone kind of knows. Um, and if you could get them actually completing the behaviour or looking like they're completing behaviour, it's definitely something that works to, in terms of social psychology, the in-group, out-group kind of idea. And that if you see someone within your in-group completing a behaviour, you know, you're kind of more likely to want to also complete that so that you're not seen as out the group. So that was definitely part of the second screen. And I think those are probably the, the two key concepts that we went for, but there's lots of other little bits. Um, we would have loved to test them a bit more, but we had, a yeah. great, we had a great time doing it and we had a great time working with the sustainability department who are, yeah, like the rest of UCL, just really open, really open to applying great. this sort of stuff. That sounds fascinating. I, I love that idea. I've been talking with my students um, this week about gamification. Um, and I love and I love the idea there of having like somebody, you know, doing the behaviour. It's very powerful, isn't it? And there's lots of behaviour change techniques in the taxonomy that kind of link to that around social comparison and information about other people's approval as well. That sounds great. It's a really interesting project that you've been involved in, Casio. Is there anything else that you want to, um, to tell us about behaviour change um, or share any kind of tips and advice that you think might be handy for for students to to hear yeah so um literally having just graduated from a behavioral science course um the thing i've learned just generally this whole year is seek opportunity for yourself because it particularly applies to the field of behavioral science um or any I, i'd say any applied psychology because there aren't jobs that are always called behavioral scientists mm. that um and what there is is there's lots of roles where you could apply it um and actually it is very much something you could use or maybe there are businesses and there are opportunities that you could seek out that maybe currently don't have anything but are interested in the idea of applying behavioral science and essentially throughout my whole course and this year it's worked quite well for me which is I'm sure also partly luck but you know I didn't have any experience in behavioral science applications so I yeah I started that society um but you know your university might there might be something out there that's already fit well into that like another uh, society that's already uh, applying sort of just behavior change methods or where you could join onto a project and then say hey I want to apply some of these these uh, ideas so there's there's always opportunity but I think you have to look for it because behavioral mm. science is a small area in terms of how many jobs are actually called behavioral science or how many opportunities are like oh this is behavioral science um but it's a growing area so I think if you are proactive with saying like hi I'm really interested in this um can I start using this I've had friends as well who are doing completely different jobs but are tasked with something that essentially could be looked at through a behavior change method and I think mainly just through talking to me they've started to get interested in it and they've said to their boss hey so I'm looking at behavioral science you know I'm not an expert um I think some of this perspective of the way that we're thinking can be applied so even if you find yourself in a job that maybe doesn't call itself behavioral scientist doesn't mean that you can't start looking at the perspective and people are quite interested and open to it so I just 
would just kind of quash those little fears of, you know, not sure if I should go out and put myself out there on a limb because uh, nine times out of 10, putting myself out on a limb has gone, it's like ultimately the thing that has one kind of got me this job, but also got me any of the experience that um, I was able to get last year. Great. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of it. The only other thing I would say is, uh, I know the job market at the moment is really scary. So um, yeah, maybe don't expect that response to be immediate. You know, when I was kind of putting myself out and that stuff, it was more of a focus on what you want to learn, not what you think a job needs, like not what you think a job description needs. Because if you focus on what you actually want to do in terms of, I'm really interested in this area, I'm really interested in sustainability, I'm really interested in X, Y, Z. If you just focus on what you're actually interested in, eventually you will find the type of job that is right for you and the type of opportunities that are right for you. But if you think if you go about it in the other way, where you try and find the job first and then try and fit yourself into that, it's just long, like, you know, long term, if we're all talking about sustainable behaviour change, yeah. that's, that's not sustainable. <laughs> um, and I think I've, I've done it the hard way in a way where I've tried it one way before and now the other way around seems to be a better fit. So okay. uh, embrace your inner nerd which <laughs> I think most of my friends would say is that is absolutely not an inner nerd. I'm a complete outer and everything type nerd. But um, yeah, just don't be afraid to be, be too keen uh, and embrace it because I think it will find you in a better place and you'll actually be really interested in what you're doing rather than you know, the other way around. Oh, that's lovely uh, ending point, Katie. I really appreciate um, that's what you shared. I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, it is a bit of a tricky time, but in terms of understanding behaviour change, you know, people who can understand that are the people that are going to, you know, stop the pandemic, essentially. And then all of the stuff that's going to come after it, like you were saying about, you know, the increased interest in cycling and everything. Of course, we want to be out there, you know, not using uh, cars and public transport. So I think, yeah, you're in a great position. And I hope that my students will also realise they're also in a fab position as well. So that's fantastic. I'm really grateful for the time that you've shared with me today. Thank you so much. No worries. It was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed hearing from Kezia, especially finding out about some of the barriers to cycling behaviours. They weren't things that I'd considered before. She talked about the importance of image, this idea of cyclists being a particular group of people that wear particular clothing. The idea of these people going around in lycra and if you don't have the right outfit, would you feel like you fit in? And I think the importance of image is really important for us to consider in a range of other behaviours as well. I also enjoyed hearing her talk about her role at Cycling UK, it's quite a new role for her, as well as the opportunities that she'd had to explore lots of different behaviour change challenges while she was studying the Masters at UCL. Kasia also mentioned the importance of co-design or co-production, and lots of our other guests have mentioned this as well. So this is the importance of really engaging with your target population to help you build an intervention that's acceptable for them. I think that was a really great way to end this series of podcasts, particularly because Kasia talked about employability and postgraduate study as well. But of course, I'm still really interested in hearing from you if you've got a suggestion for a future guest, particularly if it's someone who works in a completely different field, something that we've not talked about before. 
So please do get in touch with all your ideas and any other feedback. Goodbye.